Welcome, Traveler, to Dungeons & Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing games, philosophy, and theology. Wow, everyone, we have such a special treat for you all tonight. We're here with Kevin Wong. He is a game designer. He's a gamer. I'm a big gamer. You a know big that. gamer. Big gamer. And a gamer designer. Got, 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 got a big-ass gamer chair. So, Kevin and I met in college, and we used to play D&D together. Many fabulous, wonderful stories have transpired. One character that I had spent all of his starting equipment slots on, like, soap. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Slippery Sam. Yep. This is a good one. And and there was, like, a chase scene where we were, like, trying to chase after this chariot that was, trying, that was getting away. Mm-hmm. None of us were fast enough <laughs> to make it happen and reach this villain. So, what my character did was yeah. covered himself with soap. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thinking that it would uh, make <laughs> him fast, faster. He was going to slide. He was going to lube himself up and slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Slide yeah, after the faster. chair. You could do that with grease as a spell. So, I mean, why not do it with soap? Because it might not be Brilliant. Yeah. But, but we didn't have any soap. water. <laughs> oh, no. That was, that was the only that was the only mistake. The, the only flaw in the logic. You could have gotten everyone to spit on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's also, also the celery instance. Hold that. on, hold on, hold on. This You're missing a key part. Kevin, not the character, Kevin stood up because we were like, Kevin, this is never going to work. <laughs> he stood up and he's like, no, 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 guys, watch. It's like this. And he ran and tried to slide on the ground. <laughs> IRL. No, he didn't know. Well, that's well, no, the thing. How did he prove it would work? If he, he didn't, didn't have soap, and he was wearing clothing, so there was too much friction. So he should have gotten naked and rubbed soap on. <laughs> rubbed soap I mean, the same thing would have happened, but... So it didn't work. So it didn't work. That's real funny. Um, I, th- I think Kevin went through more characters than anyone else. Some of whom would only last one session. <laughs> that's true. This is why Kevin's a better player than I am, because I do crazy, stupid shit, too, but I'm too, like, attached to my characters, so I will, I will back off. I, yeah. you know what I mean, when I think I'm, it's going to actually... You don't commit. Yeah, I th- when I think my DM is going to punish me, I back off. But <laughs> Kevin is willing to go there. But, like, yeah. like, I, like, I think there's a whole genre of games where, like, the joy, the fun of failing in spectacular and, and so mm-hmm. many ways is um, gen- genuinely really appealing and the draw to those games. Bad bodies work with, like, co-op, GURP, and getting over it um, oh are really good examples of this game, this game where, like, your inputs are so obfuscated and difficult that achieving a simple goal feels impossible, and and, and you, it, it then ends up turning into a game of, like, moving around in silly ways that are mm. really funny and failing to achieve your goal in a very thoughtful mm-hmm. way. Like, you're performing main failures since achieving your goal just feels out of reach. And mm-hmm. D&D, I think... At least the way I played it um, yeah. fits, I think, fits into that canon. I'm a huge fan of Bennett Foddy, and I love getting over it. When you beat the game, you get the opportunity to buy getting over it merchandise. <laughs> it's, it's a hard game to beat. Uh-huh. It's interesting you bring that up because it became a speedrunning game really quickly, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it had that kind of potential. Mm-hmm. And although that, I think that's cool, it's cool to see speedrunners do mm-hmm. their thing, a lot of people then, I think, lost sight of it as this game that was intentionally about failing yeah. in a way and it became like oh it's, it's this object of mastery mm-hmm. rather than a experience of failure yeah. or whatever so I think it's interesting that 
for you, that you were in some ways seeing D and D or tabletop gaming or whatever mm -hmm. was having a similar quality as being a space where not only you were encouraged to fail, mm -hmm. but failure was sort of part of the point, and it was edifying to fail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think that that differs a lot from like um, conventionally hard games yeah. like say Dark Souls or Toho, in that like uh, with those games like they they are tough but fair, and anyone feels should feel that like they could achieve the goal of beating up the game by understanding those games' rules. Mm -hmm. and Anyone who can't do it's not a true gamer. Yeah, reside <laughs> on a really on a really deep level mm -hmm. with games like Bed Vice work. Even achieving like an intermediate goal of like moving twenty meters feels spectacularly difficult mm -hmm. and impossible. And the struggle to achieve your goals feels so insurmountable that mm -hmm. your engagement with the game then shifts tor towards mm -hmm. very different goals than the ones that were yeah. set out for you. Well, I think that it's kind of interesting the ways that, ostensibly, the narrative of a game like Quop mm -hmm. is... Go forward. Go forward. <laughs> you want to run as far as you can, mm -hmm. but because of the way the mechanics are set up, that you use like one letter controls one part of your limb that, as you said, obfuscate. It's like an obfuscation of the input really, the, the mechanics make it really difficult to actually achieve this goal. And so, while the narrative goal, the established, like, supposed goal of the game is make it as far as possible, the actual fun of the game, the actual experience, and the actual kind of, like, the player goal, in some ways is to do something silly, or to be funny, or to fail in a way that, like, makes you laugh. And I guess the way I played my characters yeah. was very much like that. Mm -hmm. And I think D&D &D was really rich in mm -hmm. a way that it responded to a character like the one I yeah. played and allowed for them to be incorporated into the story we were told together mm -hmm. in a way that felt very genuine. Yeah. Because of the sort of limitless possibilities of tabletop RPGs, mm -hmm. You, you can have this sort of, like, there might be a, some sort of ostensible goal that you're working towards. Like, you want to you wanna complete the quest, you want to defeat the big bad, but that each character or each player comes at it with their own sort of, like, little goals that they're developing themselves. Sort of like in Dear Future, there's mm -hmm. a goal that to which, towards which everyone is working, but some people are playing this game as, like, a way to fail spectacularly, and they derive enjoyment from that. Or some people are playing it to min-max, and they derive enjoyment from maximizing or finding these sort of interesting mechanical combinations. Mm -hmm. Or some people come in with their own like side story, and they're playing this like very story-driven, role-playing game. Mm -hmm. And together, you kind of mix these elements and slowly advance the plot and create something together. Yeah, in both like tabletop RPGs and well, Dear Future, like the contributions of every single player mm. matters and yeah. event, and advances the collective goal of either telling a story as in with D&D &D, or achieving the two goals of creating lots of cool photos and <laughs> resolving the game story. Have you thought about taking all the player photos and arranging them into a picture book that you could sell on Fangamer for $29.99. We, we did have an idea of like doing like a gallery show of oh, yeah, that would um, be awesome. mm -hmm. pictures that people took playing the game, but um, the way the procedural generation 
well, panned out. I don't think there was like enough. The architecture is diverse enough oh, to mm-hmm. present like lots as much variation as um, mm. we would have liked. But 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 if we do end up like returning to it and changing up the procedure generation, it would be really cool to do something like that again. There is a Twitter page, Dear Future Game, which tweets out every single picture every single player takes. Oh, wow. So what, what role do you think that politics play in video games? Should they be there if they are there? All art is political. All art is political. Oh, yeah. Political. What do you in mean by are, that? In games are art. Like, um, like especially for... Um, since games are systems and our world is made out of systems, mm-hmm. um, uh, political values are expressed in games whether or not you intend them to mm. be. Um, but... Mass Effect, say, a game like Mass Effect may, may wear its, like, intentionalities aesthetically on its sleeve mm-hmm. by, as we said, rewarding, like, certain types of behavior. Mm-hmm. But I see that a lot in, uh, a lot of what we call, like, the procedural rhetoric of games. Mm-hmm. Like, the messages that games are sending through um, their design and, and mechanics that only come clear once we, we play them. This is procedural rhetoric. Procedural rhetoric. Got it. Yeah, um, the rhetoric, the rhetoric that comes emergently out of mm-hmm. um, a, a system, like Nikki Case's work is our. Uh, it, um, Nikki Case's work is a really good example of this. Uh, their work illustrates like uh, how systems like redlining or political polarization uh-huh. or um, or or even like pandemics and social distancing work mm-hmm. through uh, small games that uh, have like very strict rules mm-hmm. that result in certain types of outcomes. That's procedural rhetoric. Yeah. Could you maybe give us an example? Because I'm not familiar with Nikki Case's work. What like what games are you talking about, and how does that? How do those restrictive rules kind of show up? Um, shoot, I'm. It's been a while since I played their work. That's totally fine. You can just make one up. Yeah, just make up a game. You're like, <laughs> Nikki made this game called Mario 3. <laughs> Very restrictive. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> like, um, like, like for, for example, example, like Parable of the Polygons is mm-hmm. one of their better known works, but like, um, but, but, but placing like, it's a game where you like um, place uh, these little polygon people, triangles, squares, circles mm-hmm. next to to each other, but each of them has like very particular rules about who or uh, what other kinds of polygons that they can associate with, and mm-hmm. that is supposed to be like some, in a way, a metaphor for political polarization. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because you're only allowed to associate with like. Triangles. Yeah. The tri- and we all know what the triangles are. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yep. Exactly. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The yeah. soundboard is coming, everyone. <laughs> We're going to have way better sound effects. Mm-hmm. And, 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 like, procedural rhetoric, like, manifests ev- everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and you can see, like, very intentional politics in things like the um, suburban middle class aesthetics of The Sims or mm-hmm. you know, very, <clears throat> very uh, neoliberal policies of like SimCity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, all of these games, well, not all, many games, and perhaps all games are political. Every single game. What I'm making, I'm making a specific point, narrow point. <laughs> I'm making a narrow point here, Joey. Fuck you. <laughs> is that many games, especially the more complex ones with, you know, narratives. <laughs> <laughs> well, all games have narrative. Every single one. It's okay. fucking authoritarian, Joey. <laughs> Um, I refuse to accept nuance. They make manifest a certain picture of normality and what the good human life is supposed to look like, right? So, you know, Mass Effect is probably the one that we're talking about a lot. The Paragon route is so obviously internal to the game, like the ideal of life, whereas mm-hmm. the Renegade route, in a way, is parasitic on that. You know, it's it's showing you sort of like, oh yeah, we can be bad guys too, but it's obviously not the picture that's being privileged mm-hmm. by the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know when you choose Renegade options, you are choosing the bad one. Yeah. Although it's called Renegade, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's more like bad yeah. guy. Bad guy-gade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be the first Renegade. To quote Taylor Swift. Oh. <laughs> Dude, I loved her in Cats. I... Admittedly, that was probably Meow. the best, the best song in the, or the best performance. Her in Cats. In, no, uh, like of the movie Cats. Did you hear that they had to shrink? Like Jason Derulo's penis was too big, so they had to digitally <laughs> alter it out. They had to shrink his penis. Yeah. Were they naked on set? I don't know. I mean, they look naked in the movie. That's what it sounds. They like. added first. <laughs> well, Jason movie. Derulo cat the rum tum tugger. Rum tum tugger. Yeah. He's a curious cat. He he wears a coat. He does, yeah. And two of the other cats wear shoes. So they're not naked? The railway cat, uh, Skimbleshanks, he wears a suspenders and, a, and pants and tap shoes. Yeah, so, I mean, at, at a certain point, I, too, became interested in, in politics and kings. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, here's, one I always found interesting is <laughs> when, there's a, when there's a conflict between... I mean, people talk about ludonarrative dissonance on different levels. We've mm-hmm. talked about it in a previous episode. But, like, here's one that's... It's sort of like this. So in Bioshock 1, mm-hmm. um, it's a quote-unquote critique of like Ayn Rand libertarianism. I mean, it's... Objectivism. Objective, yeah. yeah, objectivism. I mean, uh, the main villain's name is Andrew Ryan, and like the bad guy's name is like Frank Fontaine, which sounds like the fountainhead. It's very on the nose. Yeah. But... Not subtle. It's not subtle. As a critique, I think it really fails horribly because <laughs> it's this like, it's the best city that ever existed. It's beautiful. Like, anyone would want to live there, and the reason it all goes to shit is because of, like, magic slugs or something. So it's a deus ex machina, basically, in my opinion, uh, that that undoes the political scenario mm-hmm. or brings a critical element to the, to the political scenario. It's not anything about the politics itself, really, I think, that is explanatory of why things fall apart. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Bioshock 2, I think it's got a much more salient critique of political organization Bioshock 1, which is the people who are the underclass who aren't present in the first game, but they kind of create an underclass that existed in the city in the second game, uh, were discriminated against, and so they start to organize against the powers that be. Mm-hmm. So um, I think in order to have real political critique in a game, it's not enough to just have something that you're going to criticize and then have like a deus ex machina that's yeah. manifest in game mechanics be what explains why it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like uh, w- one of the reasons why people were very critical of Bioshock's uh, Bioshock One was that um, their that that of dissonance came largely from like 
the fact that like in order to advance in in the game and become more powerful, the action you you need to um, uh, perform in a very self interested, very libertarian, very individualistic way with how you relate oh, to yeah. uh, the resources in that game's world. It just works yep. if you are if you are libertarian. You know, it just, it's just gonna like work for you. like like you you can play in a very aggressive way where where you like accrue lots of resources to make your, your character more powerful and performing in like that that very r rationalist, self-interested way that Ayn Rand talks about in her work objectively advances your character. You're going to have a better time really yeah. playing if you're yeah. a libertarian. <laughs> <by a job>. <laughs> <laughs> Despite yeah. like the game's narrative politics mm -hmm. be, ostensibly being critical of yeah. uh, um, Ayn, Ayn Randian objectivism that is strictly undercut by the game's mechanics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you design a game, what are the things that you that you need to look out for to make sure that you you don't have this ludonarrative dissonance, or to make sure that the message that you're sharing is consistent, or does it need to be consistent? Ask ask yourself what's your, what is my intent with every single thing you add design to the game. Mm -hmm. What 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 am I trying to say with uh, this design decision? And what does a player perceive it as? Mm. And how is it read? Um, that's actually, I think that's something I prize, put a more value in than others for, for better or worse. Like <laughs> I do, I do care about whether or not like somebody might misinterpret mm -hmm. um, what I'm trying what we're trying to accomplish with the game, and to that extent, that, and to that extent, maybe that might result in like a, a, a much less rich interpretive space mm. for how like a player could read and experience a game, and, and, or it might result in like the narratives, narrative of their future being like very on the nose and very, leaving mm. very little room for interpretation. Um, what do you think is the obligation, if any, of creators or artists to consider the impact that their art will have or to consider how their art will be interpreted? Like, do you as a creator have any responsibility for what people who consume your media... Do you owe it to them to do certain things? Or do you owe it to society to create something oh, yeah, that yeah. will not... I mean, either one. Like, what I do you owe to your consumers and what do you owe to society as a whole who will have to deal with the fallout of whatever you're producing? For 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 me at least, I don't want like my work to be like co-opted by fascists. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin is anti-fascist. Antifa. Anti I, I'm Antifa. Yeah, I'm Antifa. <laughs> we got an Antifa yes. super soldier here with us right now. We don't. <laughs> we do not support fascism at Dungeons and Dialectics. That's right. You know it. I'm yeah. glad we could come out and say that. <laughs> Ten episodes in. <laughs> it's been. This is probably going to be like number twelve. Oof. Okay, um, that's good. Hey, we, at least yeah. we said it right. Yeah. Some podcasts never say it. That's true. We're mm. looking at you, office ladies. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That podcast. It is a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at you, uh, uh, Walt Disney food blog. The Moth. I don't know if they've ever said that they the don't moth. agree with fascism. I don't listen to podcasts, clearly. I, I'm listen, <laughs> looking at you, NBC News. Up first. Recap. Yeah. <laughs> with NPR. With NPR, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, but like, you see how like, um... Uh, 
people might like uh, watch, um, say, Starship Troopers. Absolutely. And uh, see see it and associate with um, people that, like, they are clearly not supposed to associate with. Mm -hmm. And um, Starship Troopers is a parody, is making fun of fascism, Nazis. Yeah. And people people love it. They're like, I want to... I want to kill some bugs. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah brother. Bugs. And, he, and bugs. even in the, the Warhammer 40k community, like, oh, God. Um, Games Workshop had to put out, like, a public statement saying oh, that, like... we're not Nazis, are you? Yeah. <laughs> saying that, like, hey, this world is grimdark. It's intentionally bad. Don't... And this was in response to an incident where, like, somebody wore Nazi a Nazi uniform to um, a, a, a a tournament. And... Mm-hmm. I think maybe I put too much value in, like, thinking about, like, how a game, mm-hmm. what I'm saying, could be, like, misconstrued or construed in a non-constructive way, but um, mm-hmm. I think that was something that we were considerate of with regards to how um, Dear Future manifested. Um, like, maybe the game story is, like, preachy and on the nose, but I think that a lot of that came from concerns that, like, people might eat it in like an eco-fascist way or mm. a, a authoritarian way that undercuts like respect for the individual mm. i know in the past you've told me that you're a fan of or interested in i think robert yang's work mm-hmm. the radiator and those kinds of things what do you think the role of like video games or tabletop games is in exploring identity whether your own or others, uh, that's a really good, good, good question. Like, Thank you. Um, We're really good at this. I'm so good. Yes. What a great interviewer. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I mean, like, I think I think it's fairly straightforward. Like, okay. uh, tabletop games, like RP- and RPGs, like allow you to perform a care a character that mm-hmm. you are and assume the identity of somebody else Mm -hmm. um and that is super useful in like exploring your own identity and Mm -hmm. understanding better who you are as a person Mm -hmm. like i have a number of uh trans friends who um count uh tabletop rpgs as super important in developing their identity Mm -hmm. um and, and and they're grateful for like having that space within that that magic circle to experiment with mm. uh, decisions that affect their, their lives outside of their ma- the magic circle for the better. Yeah. The magic they can, circle they can is experiment. space. They can experiment with certain decisions ahead of, not maybe not ahead of schedule, but they can, in a safe, mm-hmm. constructed space, sort of uh, play around with something that maybe is more difficult in real than real life, quote unquote. Yeah. Or like, it's something that you don't have to commit to. Right. But you can say, well... How do I feel with these pronouns? Or how do I feel mm-hmm. conceiving of myself or with this character that has a very different gender expression than I do? Do you think that there might be, though, any ethical obligations placed on players who want to take up identities that are different from their own? Like, let's say I want to play like a gay character or something. I'm not gay, so what kind of restrictions does that place on me? Should I... Should I be playing a gay character? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like they're they're intuitively going to be limits to the kinds of characters yeah. I should play, right? Like, you know, but Yeah. Yeah, like 
like I think having that um, space to explore mm-hmm. is important, but I think it. I think a lot of it depends on what motivates uh, that. Like, mm-hmm. it, am, am I mo- playing this gay character because I want to understand my identity as mm-hmm. a closet person mm-hmm. much better and uh, perform this character in a way that mm-hmm. allows me to edify myself in uh, out, outside of the magic circle mm-hmm. and experiment with identity? Or am I playing this this gay character because it would be a very funny quirk mm-hmm. uh, that would make the yeah. story well, goofy. Like, the, the, I think a decision like, if, if that's what's motivating you to like mm-hmm. play a character with an identity that's not your own, I don't think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I do think there are like some boundaries that should, probably should be cro- mm-hmm. crossed. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like playing uh, so, somebody who's not your well, race is a weird thing with D and D, especially. But I think uh, whatever the right, right. Yeah, I get, I get, I get what you're yeah about. that like because in the game there are you know when you when we say race in in games and this is sort of starting to change right people are starting to say like ancestry is a really popular um, way to refer to like fantasy quote unquote races. Oh, so like people say that the ancestry is like like orc is my ancestry okay. or elf is my ancestry or species halfling or whatever but like humans in in the games have different like what we would call like races like there are black people in the games and there are um like asian people in the games even though like the space is not called asia but right that's like obviously stands for inspiration yeah exactly what I'm just saying is, just don't be culturally appropriate. <laughs> right. uh-huh. well, yeah. the, so, okay, yeah. so you, you list sort of two criteria. Um, on the one hand, it's sufficient to establish, or perhaps close enough to sufficient, to establish sort of mm-hmm. an ethically salutary uh, operation in a, in a tabletop game if I'm role-playing as something else, if it's a means of exploring my own identity. Right, and then you yeah. also said that it's sufficient to rule it ethically impermissible if it's just for a laugh or something, right? Yeah. But what if, I mean, it seems like there's probably middle ground between these two things. I mean, maybe this is a vague question that there aren't going to be precise answers to. Mm -hmm. Like, what if I want to play as a character instantiating X identity property, uh, whatever that X is, not as a means of, of, you know, like, laughing at anybody, Mm -hmm. not as a means of exploring my own identity, but as a means of trying to better understand someone else's identity. Do you have thoughts on on that? Mm -hmm. That might be a vague sort of, yeah, like, space, but... like the walk, trying to walk a mile in another person's shoes. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's a lot to be said about, like, so-called empathy games and yeah, mm-hmm. up the potential of, like, games to allow you to, like, empathize with somebody else's experiences. A lot, I think, that dominated, like, the games discourse around, like, 2013 and such. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that's... Uh, Viable, and I don't really mm-hmm. think that games can achieve uh, or allow people to empathize with somebody else in a, in a, in a deep way that's productive. Uh huh. Um, mm-hmm. Since since I think identity and personhood is so complex that I don't yeah. know if any art can 
um, capture that. So what it's like to be a different somebody else. So for like a game like Gone Home, right, which is a quote unquote walking simulator, um, that's a game where you're playing as the older sister of a young gay woman, I believe. Oh, I just spoiled Gone Home. Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, so that's not quite the same thing because actually that's that might be an example of a good way to do this because I was just remembering. You are looking in at from an outside perspective at a narrative of someone struggling with their identity and maybe mm-hmm. there'd be some kind of indirect, like, okay, you're experiencing this narrative outside of yourself and mm-hmm. maybe that will be empathizing. But you're saying if the game were like, I'm going to throw you into this, like, I'm going to embody you as this group. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, um, and you're going to go through all these hardships yeah. or something. You don't think that will necessarily actually be that productive with respect to establishing whatever ethical desiderata we're after. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I don't. Uh, like, I, I I've worked with folks who um, do uh, do queer games and uh-huh. do like. Um, self-expressive and autobiographical work, and mm-hmm. they are frust- and it frustrates them when people describe their work as empathy games, uh, since mm-hmm. that was never their intent. Yeah, with uh, creating the art. So, are they trying to like what like make manifest their not manifest to others, but just express their lives or something like that? Mm-hmm. And it's not about you stepping into their shoes. Yeah, it's okay. it's them telling their story. Uh, their, yeah. their story. Mm-hmm. It's not. And, and to call it an empathy game, I think centers mm-hmm. like the person who's yeah yeah I think that's right. Well, it's it's not that it centers the person who's playing because they like, could be the person. Yeah. Well, because like queer people play games yeah, too. Yeah, Joey, this is <laughs> goddamn. This is like a this is one of those like gotcha points, Joey. The point is like if I'm playing it, yeah, it would be centering me to say it's an empathy game exactly. because you know it. So it's if it's about the if it centers the player. Right, um, it's only accidentally the case that it would be doing that in a good way because the player could be not the queer person playing the game. It could be like me or someone else, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but, the the framework of thinking about it as putting the player in the center of the of the meaning of the story could give you the the right result, but it's not it's not necessarily guaranteed. the case. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing is like when you create a game for mass consumption, mm-hmm. on the one hand. You want to, you know, why would we design games um, under the umbrella of, like, cis heteronormativity? The sort of default assumption that everybody is cisgender, everybody is heterosexual. Mm -hmm. This is a false assumption. (laughs) It is wrong because, you know, trans people exist, queer people exist. Um, And so cis heteronormativity is like a flawed way of understanding and structured the, structuring the world. As the default of reality or something. As like the default yeah. of reality. And so games shouldn't shouldn't be produced like that. Mm-hmm. Like, why would we default assume that? But we still always, like, we. it's really hard to avoid falling into that trap right. because that's what we're kind of taught and that's what we're, is sort of normalized. And, and that culture is so dominant yeah. and omnipresent in the, the mm-hmm. U.S. at least. Especially in games, yeah. 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 And so... Our default assumption of, well, who's playing this game? It's probably some white cis guy. Um, <laughs> looking, at, looking at us, Matt. Yeah. Um, here we are. 
Yeah. And, and it's probably the guy that he's playing is probably bald too, like Jack. Is bald just like me. <laughs> <laughs> or has like a neck beard like Matt. I don't have a neck I shaved my neck just before we came here. Just I so like I be- I'm looking this. beautiful folks. Just, oh yeah. Just know. Yeah, he is. Um <laughs> Oh, but you know, that that's sort of like our default assumption of what gamers look like. Mm-hmm. And yet, like you know, there are lots of queer people that play games, and women oh, yeah. play games, and people of color play games. Everyone and does plays games. Yeah, everyone plays. Everyone's games. a gamer these days. And so there should be games that do not treat those other categories as like abnormal or strange uh, yeah, or yeah. weird. But with that said, like there has to be like that kind of balance of not creating just like I don't know, like voyeuristic content. Voyeuristic and, is like the word yeah. I was trying to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. That's the word that I think. Yeah. Is to grab. You don't want it to be as though it's like the the you're treating them as an other for yeah. your gaze, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, how do you, as a creator, create content that speaks to, like, your story without, like, do you have to worry about this becoming voyeuristic for white people, for example? I, I, I don't... I don't think that's something I'm concerned about yeah. since I don't really care about mm-hmm. what what um, you don't care about white people. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like I, like I, I think I do. I do care about how a game is interpreted and whether or not, like, I'm communicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, correctly and getting my message across. Yeah. But I don't think I care about um, how a person might mm-hmm. see this game in a... That might, somebody might see this game in a voyeuristic way since I don't think it's necessarily for yeah. them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's good. Like, like, I guess, like I would have like a tar- target audience for the game and how if somebody falls outside of that mm-hmm. I don't think um, it's not uh, how they re- uh, read the game and what they experience isn't something I am as immediately concerned about mm-hmm. so it sounds like it sounds like you have sort of a balance because earlier you were talking about like one of the things you care about a lot is how the consumer will interpret this game and understand it but also recognizing that there are some people that will fall outside of that and you can't, like you can't lose your mind just thinking about, Oh, how am I going to make sure that everybody choice paralysis, right? Yeah. yeah. And like, and that's actually something that one of my writers, um, raised when mm-hmm. they pushed back against some, my creative decisions, mm-hmm. uh, namely what, n- namely they were like, um, they, they told me that like, if somebody reads the, the the game in this way they're not reading it from like a uh, genuine place of good faith mm-hmm. like that they are trying to, that if somebody reads this in like in like a eco-fascist way that yeah. they w- that they are intentionally trying to like um any anything can be interpreted in an indefinite number of ways mm-hmm. if you put elbow grease into it you have to yeah. be concerned with the ways that a normal, like, relatively well-adjusted human yeah. being operating in our society yeah. or in society in good faith, 
in good faith, yeah. might come to interpret again, like so, like with Starship Troopers. Um, I think, unfortunately, many people who aren't, op- let's just say, not operating in bad faith, but many mm-hmm. aren't that critical, yeah. will read it in this sort of fascist way. So that's an example, I think, of perhaps narrative failure if they wanted to have this yeah. condemnation. But I don't think you can worry about like what some dickhead on the internet's going to do. You know, give him, yeah. give him like two hundred hours, he'll figure it out. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think that's where why I say that maybe I prize too much, put too much value on that. Like that, I I, I do get like insecure and concerned about like um, what somebody who might be how somebody who might be playing reading the game without the best of intentions mm-hmm. might read it. Maybe I care a little too much about um, what they might say, since I don't think... Um, I, I, I still, as I said, said I don't, I, I'm still developing it as a creator, and I, st- and I mm-hmm. think um, understanding better um, how to relate to audience, audiences is something I need to get better at, whether or not I should care about what... Um, some, somewhat by my experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, that part of it is that, like, for a lot of these questions, there are no kind of, like, hard and fast answers. Mm-hmm. And, and it ends up being that, oh, these are just, like, things that we constantly have to wrestle with and question. And eventually, like, through that process, we end up getting sort of, like, closer to something that is, like, accurate or helpful and for me, like, I, I think that what helped me out a lot there was mm-hmm. bringing on other people. Yeah. Uh, uh, to, to, like, I provide the general framework for uh, Dear Future's story. Uh, it has to be about that that these themes, this conflict, mm-hmm. the villain has to be this uh, type of character. Yeah. And the, the struggle between these parties has to be about this. But... And I, pre- I presented that, that to the writers and allowed them to, like, fill in, basically fill mm-hmm. in the blanks of anything they wanted. Yeah. And, and one perk of this game in particular was that it allowed us to have, like, a lot of, like, different uh, story items and ca- different characters who may not mm-hmm. necessarily be critical to the plot. There are, like, tons of side characters, mm-hmm. both in, like, the collectible stories or in the lore items that you would find. Mm-hmm. And by bringing on, like, diverse yeah. writers and having a diverse team, they could fill things mm-hmm. in and create a world that I cannot necessarily express or mm. understand by myself. But on another project <laughs> I, uh, with more human characters, like, uh, uh, figuring out, out how to, like, pick, like, a world and characters who aren't necessarily, like, my, myself, mm-hmm. that was way more of a struggle. Because when you're trying to, like, create a realized and well thought out and human character, there's a lot of nuance to figuring out like their identity and mm-hmm. who they are and how they interact with other people and how they perceive the world yeah. and others. And that it is so difficult as an individual person, especially when it comes to the uh, issues of like race, gender, identity, um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, Honest and sometimes and like if you aren't thoughtful about it, like there's on like another project that I did like a bunch of the characters ended up turning into like different manifestations of different parts of my own mm-hmm. identity, and like that just feels so 
simplistic. That's a really good point. I always struggled with that when I was trying to do creative writing. It mm-hmm. was just me. It was me talking about myself over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you, that's something that you know you know and you know you can mm-hmm. And I know I know me. And that's something that you know you can write well. Mm-hmm. But beyond but beyond that, that, that becomes a lot more difficult. I'm not a, a writer, um, <laughs> as you can tell, but <laughs> I enjoy it. I've enjoyed Hell yeah, I could tell. That's the first thing I thought when I walked into your sorry-ass apartment. <laughs> wow, this guy can't be a writer. This guy's no way this guy's a writer. No way. And, and that's why I like working with writers and collaborating with mm-hmm. others. Yeah. They keep on bringing things to these projects that make them so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is one of the cool things about playing a tabletop RPG is you have this group that collaborates together mm-hmm. to build something and write something and they bring their own characters in, but they also kind of like, they take the world and they sort of manipulate it or they interpret it in new ways. Or sometimes when we've played, we'll have like, if we're dealing with one scene that only has some of the characters, the other characters will come in and play like NPCs so they'll get to like improvise a little oh, bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it creates these like fun, interesting dynamics where... You know, we get to collaborate on building a story. Yep. Yeah. Okay, let's give our final thoughts. Final thoughts. So, uh... So, Kevin... So, Kevin, what are your final thoughts? (laughs) What are your takeaways, or what's your advice, then, for game designers, for dungeon masters, or for players, either in games, uh, like video games, or tabletop RPGs? What is your advice to them with regard to everything that we just talked about, like identity and politics and games. There, there's no useless knowledge. There's no useless ex- experience. All of everything you experience in life contributes to your understanding of the world and having lived like a rich life with lots of knowledge and experience will only make your games better. And to that extent, like as a creative, I don't think it is as useful late, later in your career to have played lots of games, having lots of interesting life experiences that's going to be super useful for any creative endeavor wow that's really good and then the more people that you sort of like get involved in collaborating to tell the story Mm -hmm. the better oh absolutely like like a lot of folks in games do tend to be a lot more introverted and i think that's okay if that's how that's your tendency but i think it is important to reach out to other people and form connections with them and so that you can really understand the world better. It's all about forming connections. Mm-hmm. Connections. It's like Death Stranding. Yeah. Yep. Sam Strand. Sam Strand. Right. Ameri- Sam America Strand. Whatever his <laughs> name is. <laughs> finished. That's actually really, I think that's a really, really good piece of feedback. I honestly think a lot of game people, whether they're players or designers or DMs or GMs or whatever, mm-hmm. think that to be innovative or interesting, they need to thoroughly entrench themselves in the world of games and mm-hmm. shut off everything else, you know, like, if I'm going to be serious about being a game, a game regarding person or whatever, I need to be completely well-versed in the entire history of games, all games, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It might be more interesting if you don't, you know very little about games but have an extremely uh-huh. interesting life, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, like, a lot of the best, most exciting games that I've experience and play have been once from people who don't really play games at all mm-hmm. like i think nintendo hires people be, be, if they just have interesting like backstories 
Yeah, and that's and I think that's super wonder, wonderful since I think what those types of people bring and new ideas that don't necessarily come from um, pre-existing ones, uh, yeah. since otherwise you're just remaking the same experience over and over again. That's fantastic. That's right? fantastic. Mm-hmm. Do you have an idea for a sign-off? Um, what about uh, send me money? Oh, yeah, did I say that? That was the first one. Send me money. Uh, send me you money. gotta make a joke about dialectic Dungeons and Dialectics. Hey, we should do that. Try to find um, a, you can find something. Yeah, well, this is like... This was your thesis. This is Matt. And this, <laughs> is, and this is our synthesis. Oh, no, that's not even good. Well, don't worry, next week we'll get one. Next week, we owe you a, uh, a sign-off. Yep.